incredible dynamic guests today. Um, I'm so excited to introduce them to you. So Michelle Sachs is co-host of the Modern Lady podcast. She's a homemaker living in southwestern Ontario with her husband and four children. Uh, she tries to balance her love of producing and reading with adventures of homeschooling and family life. You can follow her escapades on Instagram. And um, we invite you to follow her on Instagram and everywhere. Um, Michelle, do you want to tell us just quickly how old are your kids? Yeah, so our kids are, um, our oldest is nine, just turned nine years old. And then we have twins. We have twin boys who just turned seven. And then our youngest is four and a half. So oh, it's certainly busy, <laughs> but it's all good. It's always it's so good. It's an exciting time. And you're a homeschooler too. First time, first time. So um, I'll hold back the advice because I'm still <laughs> so We're two months in, we're all still here. It's going great. <laughs> so, um, and, and, you know, thank you for, and, and you're even color coordinated today. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, a mom that has four little kids is color coordinated and she's smiling and homeschooling. <laughs> I love it. So thank you very much for uh, uh, joining us, Michelle. Thank Lindsay, you. Lindsay, um, <laughs> do you want to say hello to everybody and tell us a little bit about, oh, wait a minute, wait, I've got the official introduction here, hold on, I've got to make sure that, um, so Lindsay is a mother of four, and she's also the co-host of the popular podcast, the Modern Lady Podcast, she, um, it got cut off here. So her, I know that her husband is terrible. I'm so embarrassed. Right. I'm embarrassing is that. But I know she's a mother of four. I know she's the wife of a detective, which makes her fascinating and interesting. And uh, are you homeschooling too? You're homeschooling. I am still. So it's my sixth year of homeschooling. I have my two youngest being homeschooled. My, my one who's in grade seven is back at real school and my eldest who is 14 this weekend, she is in an Ontario high school. So she's doing the five days on and the five days online. So she's half home. So it's, I have a little bit of everything right now. Oh, wow. So that's, um, I'm just so, so thrilled um, that you've joined us today. It's uh, such an honor and pleasure. I have to tell you guys, I, you know, they're going to start their talk in just a minute, but a few years ago, I don't know, about five or six years ago, I had this experience where deceased souls kept on popping into my brain. And I'm, like, I'm thinking like, what the heck, what gives here? And then something happened that was even a little bit more dramatic is I would start thinking of somebody I hadn't seen or talked to in years. Um, one guy was like, his name was Ed Smenzik. And I'm like, what the hell? Why am I thinking of Ed Smenzik? I haven't seen him since who knows when. And then two or three days later, I would find out that he had died. And then, you know, a, a month later, I'm thinking, you know, Kristina Zamoyski, Kristina, why am I thinking about Kristina Zamoyski? Oh my gosh, she, we used to go clubbing together and like, what's ever happened to her? I know she was a pharmacist and I know, well, let me try reaching her. I call her husband. Oh, she had passed away. And it kept on freaking me out that these people that I was thinking about, I would find out, and it just happened recently with another friend of mine. I mean, you're as old as I am. You know, you got a lot of friends looking back. And uh, it was like, she had passed away. And so I, I began to think either I was crazy or I was gifted. Like I wasn't sure like what was going on. I'm okay, I can't be gifted. And then a very um, dear friend of mine, some of you might know Henry from the Ave Maria Center of Peace. He suggested that I read this book, Get Us Out of Here um, by Maria Sima. And he said, the holy souls in purgatory need your prayers, Polarski. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so uh, I started, uh, uh, you know, a very, very strong devotion, offering masses, praying for them. And of course, my mother was a militant, you know, you can't fall asleep, pray a decade of the rosary for the holy souls in purgatory. So I didn't think anyone else loved those souls in purgatory as much as I do. And then I was charming with 
Andrea Schreiber from Kitchener who runs the, she says, you gotta talk to Lindsay. She has a society. I'm like, a society? <laughs> I wanna join this society. How do I join it? So Lindsay, can you just give us a segue into um, your talk, a segue into how you got involved and then it's all yours. Absolutely. First of all, we just want to thank you for Michelle and I, you know, thank you, Dorothy, for this chance to speak with you about this. It's, it is a great honor for us. We also want to thank you for all the work you're doing in the Archdiocese and across Ontario. We really believe in the work that you're doing, especially connecting cross-generational mothers. We, Michelle and I really believe in that. We really believe in fostering mentorship, you know, with the older women and they can provide that spiritual motherhood and for the new moms who really need sometimes a shoulder to cry on and someone to pray for them and to maybe bring them a meal. So you're doing great work with that. Thank you for that. Um, so with uh, devotion, you know, there's three things I think that Michelle and I are really ultimately here to impress upon everybody today. And the number one thing is that purgatory is real. The number two thing is that purgatory is painful. And the number one, th uh, the number three thing is that only you can help, that you have the power, everybody here listening, to get those people out of purgatory and to help prevent yourself from going into purgatory, that this is like almost totally in our control. And so it's a great story of hope. And we want you to leave this feeling that way after we get through some heavier, maybe not so fun things about purgatory. But there's a lot to learn. And, um, you know, my own love for the holy souls um, started, well, I'm a revert. Um, I came into the Catholic Church, came back into the Catholic Church in 2008 when my husband converted from Anglicanism. And his conversion sparked within me a reversion. My reversion is basically a conversion, though. I wasn't really raised Catholic. And although I went to Catholic school my entire life, I didn't learn any of this stuff. So I learned it all as I got older. Um, just very briefly, we attended Mass uh, in Kitchener for four and a half years when we first came in. And then we found the traditional Latin Mass. And it was through the traditional Latin mass that we started learning about these devotions, these things that so many people have forgotten about. And it was really in learning um, tons of devotions through the people that attend that mass um, that we started really feeling drawn to the holy souls. And so there was a couple other little things that happened that I'll get to in a little bit, but my husband and I, you know, God has really graced us in our marriage with kind of getting excited about the same things at the same time. So right when I got into the Holy Souls, he did too. And so we, you know, we both were on board with doing what we could do as our family. And again, I'll talk about that in a little bit, but yeah, that's my, my story briefly. Michelle, do you want to share yours? Yeah, so you know what, I was very lucky. I grew up in a practicing devout Catholic family and my parents believed very strongly in bringing us even as kids to funerals and to visitations when family members would pass or um, even friends of the family, we were brought along to all these things. And it was impressed upon us from a young age that this was important. So we may not have understood the depth of the theology behind purgatory as young children, but we certainly knew that this was something important. Uh, I would say that the very personal adult understanding and devotion to the holy souls began for me just a few years ago. Uh, it was when my, my twins were born. And now my kids were very good nappers, I have to say. So in the afternoons when they were babies, I did have a chance to read a lot. And it was in that winter that Pope Francis recommended that all Christians and all Catholics really need to read Dante's Divine Comedy. Now, I don't know about you after you've given birth to babies, but my brain space was not <laughs> in such a place where I could handle um, Roman poetry. So what I did was I read the entire Divine Comedy on Sparks Notes online, like the Coles Notes version, literally the Coles Notes version. And what that, I, I think that was great because it gave me commentary as well as the story itself. And I thought that the middle book of Dante's Purgatorio on Purgatory, I thought that would be my least favorite. <laughs> I thought it might be the most boring. <laughs> I was trying to get to the heaven part, uh, but it ended up being my favorite, my absolute favorite, because even though it's fiction, it really flushed out in my imagination that these are real people 
and these souls are individuals still, and they are still uh, asking for our prayers. And that led me on a journey to learn more about purgatory as an adult. And it brought me across the saints like Padre Pio and all of his interactions with the with holy souls that would appear to him and ask him to say masses for them and pray for them. Um, and then I think what really solidified for me this devotion to the holy souls was a quote by Fulton Sheen, um, Venerable Fulton Sheen, where he says, hang on, I want to get this right. Oh, yeah, he says, as we enter heaven, we will see them, so many of them coming towards us and thanking us. And we will ask who they are, and they will say, a poor soul you prayed for in purgatory. And I thought to myself, I want that. <laughs> like, I, I would love to help people and then to be reunited with all of them one day. I think that's fantastic. So that was uh, the catalyst for my devotion. And from there, just continuing learning. Yeah. So I think we should define purgatory for, you know, people who maybe don't know, don't know exactly what we're talking about. So I have a copy of something called the Modern Catechism. And it's from 1970. And usually I, I'm, I'm traditional. So I'm like, oh, 1970. But I thought, no, I'm going to read this. And it actually had a great definition of purgatory. And so it, it, the quote is, a person not fully committed to Christ at the moment of death is not prepared for life in heaven. For him to share in the heavenly banquet, he must be freed from anything which stands in the way of his glory. His love must be purified. God accomplishes this work of purification in purgatory. And that sums up, you know, that it is a charitable act of mercy on God's behalf for us. That this is um, you know, it is, a, it is a good thing that he wants us to be fully perfect in our love for him. And as Michelle and I will talk about in a little bit, we also will be desiring that the moment that we are face to face with Jesus at our judgment. Um, now, so I, Michelle, I, I just wanted to make one little thing. And when, when you're talking to children, um, mm -hmm. an analogy that I used to use, I used to teach uh, or I used to run a rosary club at my kids' elementary school and did my best to teach the kids there to always offer a decade up for purgatory, for the souls in purgatory. And I used to say to them, imagine that you were going to a beautiful, beautiful party, a, a wedding, and that beautiful party or that wedding is heaven. Now, before you go to that party, imagine you have this beautiful, beautiful dress and it's white and there's this big stain on the dress. Mm. Could you go into the party with that stain? Mm. And they're like, oh no, miss, no. I said, well, what we're doing when we're praying for the souls that have died is we're scrubbing off that stain so that they can be freed to go to the party and heaven with the big dress. And the kids were like, Oh, miss, <laughs> you know, and so yeah, I find that if you, if you speak to children in that way, you can really capture their imagination. And I used to say that purgatory is like the dry cleaners, right? And so, but we only can do the cleaning, right? Uh, and so we want to pray for, you know, grandma, or we want to pray for Mr. So-and-so who died because he had some stains on that shirt and our prayers are going to get rid of those stains. So Mm -hmm. that's the way that uh, and, and the kids love that idea of going into heaven you know so anyway that's my little two cents there <laughs> I yeah. love Michelle do you have um you know a little bit from scripture to maybe help us understand what purgatory is and we know a lot of the saints talked about it as well so maybe as we continue to define it we can look to those sources yeah yeah and you know what kind of bouncing off what you were saying dorothy with that great analogy um purgatory really is a place of of free will essentially like it it is somewhere that we will want to be to take that time to prepare right it's not a punishment it's not uh, a sentence it's uh, a great mercy actually um from god to allow that like extra bit of time to purge ourselves to make us fully ready um, to enter into his his presence and his joy forever and for all eternity so it's a great uh, a, a great proof of God's great love and his great mercy for our souls which is great 
Um, the idea of praying for the dead and uh, of purgatory is actually scriptural. And one of the very first places where it mentions about praying for the dead and the benefits of that and that it is a good thing actually comes from the second book of Maccabees. That's one of the books right before you get into the New Testament. And it tells the story of Judas Maccabeus, who is the leader of the Jewish army. And he leads the army into battle. Uh, God grants them the victory in the battle. Uh, and afterwards, when they are collecting the bodies of the deceased, the fallen soldiers, they notice that some of them had been carrying pagan talismans on their person, which, of course, in Judaism and in Christianity, too, idolatry is... Um, not good. <laughs> so what Judas Maccabeus does is that he takes up a collection among the believers and sends that money to Jerusalem to buy um, the animals necessary to make a, an offering to atone for the sins of the deceased. And he does this because uh, at the time they believed in the resurrection of the body at the end of time. So he wanted to ensure that these people, even though they had passed, um, there was still some atoning that could be done, even though they had been deceased. And so that's really one of the first times in scripture we see this idea of praying for the dead. And there is a quote um, from the second book of Maccabees that says, it is a good and wholesome thought to pray for the dead, that they may be loosed from their sins. And then you can go into the Old Testament too. There are examples, I won't get into them, but there are examples um, from some of the Gospels, the teachings of Jesus himself, that allude to this time after you die that your sins can be loosed. Um, in the letters from Paul and um, Pete, St. Peter as well. So it is all through scripture as well, this idea of praying for the dead that the church really used and based over the first centuries uh, in the early Christianity to form this official doctrine of purgatory. And that was first officially done in 1274, I think. The Council of Leon was the first council. And from there it developed to what we have today. And like so many of the teachings of the church, um, it, it did start with the practice among the earliest Christians, right? And then they had been doing that practice. I mean, you can go through the catacombs and there is writing all over the tombs, begging for prayers, asking for people to pray for the dead. Um, we, we looked into too, like if whether purgatory is, a, is an actual place. And I mean, there's a lot of the early church fathers in St. Thomas Aquinas that describe it, you know, as being adjacent um, to hell, hell adjacent, I guess. Um, but it's also a state of being. And we see that in the gospels too, when Peter denies Christ and he turns around and he weeps. And so that is being in a state of purgatory within you. It's when he finally saw himself through Christ's eyes and there is an immense, in, 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 you know, Christ's perfect justice. When we see ourselves like that, we are, really turn around and weep because we see all of the chances we had to correct these things while we were still living. And we are then in his mercy given this chance to do that after we have passed away. Um, Michelle, do you want to talk about what purgatory is actually like? And I think that this is something that's been watered down over the years. And I know that the priests that I have heard speak about it at church, and I don't know if any of you have even had a priest preach about it? Probably not. Um, I'm lucky enough to have priests who do speak about it in their homilies, uh, and they have been very clear about how painful this purification process is. And I think that if we can really wrap our heads around that, we will feel such compassion for these suffering souls. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, there is a lot on this from the saints in particular about visions they have been granted of what purgatory is like. So I won't get into all of them, but um, I'll, I'll say, I'll start with St. Catherine of Genoa, and she was a mystic. She had um, lots to say about purgatory, but she does say that uh, purgatory is as painful as hell, and that's something that um, several other saints uh, will agree with in their visions of hell, is that the, it's I think, wasn't it St. Thomas Aquinas that the same, it's the same fire mm -hmm. in hell as it is in purgatory. Now, 
so some people might be thinking, well, then like what, <laughs> why? Mm-hmm. Um, the, there, there is a difference though. The intensity of the suffering is the same, but the souls in purgatory are deeply consoled. And that's a really important note because their pain is temporary and they know that. Mm-hmm. And they also know that it leads to heaven. So, you know, going back to Dante for a second, you know, in his book Inferno, which is his book on hell, it comes first, um, as Dante writes himself coming up to the gates of hell, there's a sign above the gates of hell that says essentially abandon hope all ye who enter here. And they talk about how that is the, the difference between the fire of hell and the fires that will purge you of your sins in purgatory. I know we talked about this yesterday when we were recording, Lindsay, we were talking about how are diamonds purified? Like oh, yeah. purified in fire. Um, but it is like fire has always traditionally been seen as something that purifies, right? And um, so that is the understanding of the flames. Now it's also said that the, the hottest fire on earth um, will not even measure to the least of the flames in purgatory. So it is extremely painful. um, And the souls do suffer quite a lot. Now we can help them in this. And that's what the point of this talk is, is not to, you know, kind of fall into despair for these holy souls. Uh, I really want to emphasize the fact that their, uh, their pain is abated um, considerably by the knowledge that this will end one day. And they're very uh, grateful and joyful for that. Uh, some of the other saints that talk a lot about this, just for your own further knowledge, if you want to look further into this, St. Robert Bellarmine is another one that talks a lot about purgatory. Um, St. Padre Pio, like I mentioned before, he was visited by the some of the holy souls and they would share with him a little bit about what their experience is like. And that really impacted him in a big way to go and to pray and to say masses for the holy souls. Um, And then the last thing, again, one last time going back to Dante, again, I know it's fiction. (laughs) So straight off the bat, it's not St. Dante. It's not, (laughs) this is not part of the magisterium or anything, but it really does um, provide an interesting illustration of what this could be like. He talks about some of the different levels he sees, he sees as he goes through purgatory and what some of the, um, the sufferings are like. And he talks about how in certain cases, the, the punishment is connected in a way to what the sin was that they are in purgatory trying to purge. So for example, um, those who are in purgatory trying to purge their attachment to the sin of wrath uh, are stuck in a big thick smoke. They can't see. They're blinded. They're blinded by their rage. We have that saying, right? A blind rage. Um, But they're, even as they wander aimlessly trying to find their way, they're calling out encouragements to each other. They're calling out um, examples of great meekness um, of the saints, of other heroic people of virtue. So there is this suffering that we see, and then there is um, the comfort that abets it. And you can find so much, and I encourage you to do that because I think it pulls on our, our heartstrings very naturally and inspires us to then go and pray for the souls ourselves. Now, I, I just wanted to pause for um, one second just to say hello to some of the, you know, moms in the, in the chat here. Uh, Lucy Pignatello is saying, I'm new to this group and I love it already. Welcome, Lucy. Thank you for joining us. Um, and uh, Andrea is here from uh, Kitchener-Waterloo area. She's doing a fantastic <laughs> job um, ministering to uh, moms in that region. Um, also, you know, someone is, I, I think that's Peggy there that's saying, well, you know, that doesn't sound like the dry cleaners to me. Uh-huh. Uh, it, you know, it's a little bit worse. And I, I do want to take just a second to pause on that thought. I do think it takes a tremendous amount of discernment and prayerful care in how we teach the Catholic faith, you know, to children, right? 
um, because I, I know that there was, you know, a, a generation of Catholics that did preach the hell, the fire, the brimstone, and you're going to be punished for your sins, little Johnny, you know, pick up the, and, and, and if we, like, it, it just takes so much prayer to lovingly teach these things to children at an age appropriate time. So, you know, when I was teaching, praying the rosary with children, these were elementary school children. And so I did think that, you know, the dry cleaners was good for little children because I wasn't about to um, scare the living no, won't use the word I feel like using, right? Scandal. <laughs> and so it's it's always that that the balance between as a mother, right? The, the balance between um, a, a loving motherhood and a disciplinary motherhood, a compassionate teaching of the faith versus some of the harsh realities of of the faith, and um, so. We, we really do have to be careful as moms because I, I know that a lot of little children end up leaving the faith because of the way that it was taught to them when they were little children. And, um, and so I just, I beg you all, you know, like I always say, why are we here? Why are we here? Why are we here? We are here to become better mothers, to become holier mothers, to provide a holy childhood for our children. Um, and I think we're recognizing that this takes time and that the modern day mom is so distracted and so pulled in a hundred different directions that maybe she's forgotten her purpose, right? Maybe she's forgotten that her main role is to become holy and to create a holy childhood, you know, and then all these other things are just, are just besides. So um, anyway. Know Dorothy, you know what, I just want to jump in and um, to your point. Um, <laughs> very good point. I would not lead with everything that I just said <laughs> to your yeah. young children. Yeah. Um, this was really to the moms themselves. Yes, yeah, yeah no, no. And but, so, um, yeah, yeah. But perhaps a really good way to balance this idea, because we want to start and lay the, the groundwork for them to go deeper into their faith as they mature appropriately, to, to describe it as this burning of the soul's desire to see God. You know, the, the burning of their desire is so great. Like you can use analogies of like, uh, um, think about when it's coming up to your birthday and how you're so excited it almost hurts. <laughs> or Christmas even, right? It's the season. So if you are having this conversation with younger children, I agree. I think there's so much a creativity that can be had if we know the faith ourselves um, and we're doing all of this research and reading and learning and talking about the faith, then I think it just, it helps, it can only help us then when, when we turn to our young children and start to begin those beginning stepping stones to learning the beautiful things and the teachings of the faith. And if I can say too, in my years homeschooling, um, I really think it depends on your children too, and having that closeness with your children, because some children can handle some things that other children can't. And that God has really equipped us as mothers to know what language to use with our children at the right times. And I think sometimes we do underestimate children. And I think that they actually can handle more complex topics like this that are sometimes a little scary if it's tempered with our love. And if it's also then connected to doing these devotions, so it's not just us sitting and teaching it like this, right? And then it's putting them in the car and going to the graveyard, which can become, become this really neat thing. And we'll talk about that in a little bit because we do that with our kids. Um, in my house, I have never shared, uh, shied away from talking boldly about these things with my kids. And, and they have this incredible capacity to take it in and to understand it. I think sometimes as moms too, we think, well, I'm not a theologian. I don't understand. I don't know how to answer these questions with, when my kids bring it up to us. So then we don't bring it up at all. And then they find it out a different way later and they get misinformation. And so if moms are listening to this and they think, well, I don't know how to even start this with my kids, like what Michelle's saying, learn it yourself, You know, spend a little bit, bit of time and when it comes from that place of love and devotion for these souls, the truth, the truth when tempered by love is what the church teaches. And then we start to build on those things as they do grow older. But I have never shied away actually from, from preaching the truth that the church teaches. And my kids have handled it really, really well. 
See, but you got to be careful because once you're as old as I am, you look back like my, my children went to a private um, Catholic school where, you know, they're uh, praying the rosary every single day. It was very, very, very devotional. Some of the kids that attended that school turned out because like now they're all 25, right? Some mm -hmm. of them turned out wonderfully balanced and others I can't tell you, they left the faith. We've seen some really radical, unhealthy behaviors because the kids just felt like, I got a bust out of this family. This is like, and they're not saying it at the time as a 10 year old, right? And so I guess some of the benefits of being old, <laughs> like I am, is that you look back and you say, okay, I didn't know the encyclicals like so-and-so and neither did my kids. And my kids did drink ginger ale and they even watched some TV, but they're still in, mm -hmm. right? And so like sometimes we think we are doing absolutely the right thing at the time. That's why I'm always saying pray with your children, pray for your children and teach your children to pray because you might be doing the wrong thing even though your conviction is that you think you're doing the right thing, but you won't find out till they're 28. So, you know, and that's why I love the multi-generational groups, right? Like I always felt guilty that I wasn't like the encyclical mom. Um, I didn't, you know, I wasn't as bright as the two of you are. Um, and, and, and then I'm like, oh, some of the encyclical moms, they ended up having serious problems, right? And so, you know, we're all here together and we're all here. Uh, so anyway, I'm going on too long. Sorry. <laughs> so. <laughs> so I think we should talk about what we can do. And yeah. so what we can do as individuals and as families. And I can say again, that these are devotions that my family has done for years and it has really strengthened our family. And then the truth is as well, when we are building this relationship with the holy souls, when they're released, as we've been saying, they're on your team. They're up in heaven. They're interceding for your family and they're going to help your kids stay on track. I firmly believe that because that's what the church teaches. Mm -hmm. And so all we're doing here is we are building our own extended family with these holy souls that can help us while they're in purgatory, but they cannot help themselves. So what can we do to help them? One of the first things that really inspired me was actually a secular documentary called Medieval Lives. It's a three-part documentary. It's great. It's on YouTube and it's a good birth, a good death, and a good marriage. And this series, uh, the historian, who's not Catholic, who's just a British historian, she uses these letters called the Paston letters, which is this multi-generational set of letters between family members that have been perfectly preserved. They are from, I think, the 1400s. And it is the, one of the only times in history we actually get a look at the everyday lives of ordinary people. And so what you saw was their sacramental life, the liturgical living of these everyday Catholics in pre-Reformation England. And what they talked a lot about were these things called the chantries. And the chantries were chapels, often within a church building, where the priest's sole vocation was to pray continuously around the clock for the dead. And that was, so these were all over England, particularly. And so you, when you died in your will, you would leave money and the chantries would then pray for you over and over again. This was incredible. And there was this system set up in England as well, where the wealthy would establish hospices and they, so they would help the dying, the dying poor, which was the vast majority of everybody. Uh, they would help them um, in their dying days. They would take care of them. They would nurse them. Um, and their names would go into the wealthy donors. Their names would go into, you know, these chantry systems one day. And as they were taking care of the poor, the poor in their suffering as they were dying would be praying for the names in the book of life there. So it was this continuous cycle of the rich helping the poor and the living helping the dead. It was really part of their community. And that was called a purgatorial society. And that after watching it, I'm like, well, is there still purgatorial societies? Because I've got to start one. So I spoke with my priest and he said, there really aren't any. There are a few communities of um, monks and nuns and priests throughout the world who you still can register with to have prayers for your family. But it is very rare, especially for lay people. So I have here this book. Uh, so my family, this was in, we started it in 2017. And we just went to chapters and just bought a regular book. Um, and we started collecting names of the dead of our friends and family. And we started writing them in. And we have over 300 names now. And it's something that my husband and I have committed to with our four children. 
uh, where every Friday we read every single name out loud. My children have almost all of the names memorized. We don't know these people. These people have become family to us. I can't wait to meet them in heaven one day. <laughs> <They're>, we, <laughs> the kids love them too. And so anyways, one of the things that we do with this purgatorial society under the guidance of a priest who also offers masses for the people in our book, um, and we will continue adding people to the book. Um, so we, we, we've prayed a daily family rosary for over eight years. So we're used to doing a daily rosary. So on Fridays, we pray our rosary. We read the names from the book. We pray the litany for the holy souls. We all get on our knees and pray an indulgence prayer before crucifix. Um, and we, I think that's about it. It's about an hour uh, of our Friday night devotions that we do as a family. And my kids love that time. And so it's just, yeah, those people have really become part of our family. So you too can start a purgatorial society. Any of you, you just get a book, start writing in people's names and commit to praying for them. It is nothing. It's nothing in our week, but we have really, really drawn close to the people in this book. Oh my gosh. Uh, Lindsay, my heart is just, uh, just overflowing for just your beautiful, um, my my heart's overflowing for the love that you have for the you know just the witness you know everyone's like oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh that's so beautiful um so it, what a, a wonderful wonderful um uh, beautiful idea and i i just i wanted to make a comment because someone said you know they're kind of saying hey dorothy those kids that have left the church will come back the seed has been planted um you know I just, I love these sessions because I think we all stretch one another, right? We all stretch one another. I know that Lindsay is, you know, stretching me. I'm a bit of a lazy person. And so I have a little uh, pouch on my refrigerator. And every time I get a prayer card of a person who dies, I put it in there. So I have all of them. <laughs> <laughs> you know and so then I, I i'll gather the prayers and then i like i shuffle them like a deck of cards it's terrible but but and pray for them um i think it's just amazing congratulations my hats off to you Lindsay. that um that that you're doing this together as a family and i i wanted to acknowledge all of the moms that are out there i know a lot of you are out there and saying oh my gosh but my you know i can't even get my husband to go to mass with me all of us are in a different place right all of us that we're here you know lindsay's very blessed that she's got a husband that's on the same page right uh, mm -hmm. michelle is your husband on the same page in terms of the, the the faith and practicing the faith and i don't know if that's too personal of a question well <laughs> <laughs> he's not in the midday mom session so <laughs> talk about him <laughs> um, do you know what my husband is a convert to the faith um he converted about 10 years ago and so he's still learning quite a lot of this and it's been really interesting for me as a cradle catholic um to be on this journey with him. So um, I, I would say that this devotion to the holy souls, he's a very good man. He's very patient with me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he, he will go along with things, even if he's not entirely sure about the history and the, the doctrine and fullness of the faith. Um, but I think that's an interesting point you bring up, Dorothy, because in, there are saints um, in, in the church that have been in that exact situation. And I think one thing we can draw from their example is that, especially with something like this, so starting a purgatorial society, praying for the deceased members of our family and community, that is something that you can start even on your own. Um, and uh, while you're praying, maybe you can ask those souls to help you um, bring the other people in your family on board. That's the beauty of the communion of saints that we talk about in the church, right? You have the church triumphant in heaven. Those are the saints, the church um, suffering, who are the souls in purgatory, and then the church militant, who are us. We are the militant ones who are able to still do the work and procure these merits um, to ask for help. And our, our brothers and sisters in the family and body of Christ and in the church, still even after they've passed from this earthly life they will still help us with that so you know all we need as Lindsay said all we need is a notebook and um, to get writing down some names and start praying it's always 
everything in the church is always a message of great hope and empowerment and encouragement, I find. And I think that the enemy will tempt us um, to wait before things are perfect, until mm-hmm. things are perfect, Absolutely. starting, right? Until our husband's on board or until the kids are willing to listen, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the right time. And mm-hmm. you can so pray. I want to just shout out a, a word of encouragement to Lucy here. She says, my daughter was raised Catholic and doesn't go to church, but I pray that she returned to the faith one day. And I always tell her I'm praying for uh, you and um, tell her to be a good person. Um, Rema, our mother's group leader, now in year six at St. Benedict's Parish, she says she's a mother's group leader there. This has inspired me to dedicate my mother's group to do this. So um, that's fantastic. Um, and, you know, this is why I know you guys are tired of hearing me say this, but this is why mother's group is so important. And why is it so important? Because if I meet someone like Lindsay today, and she's a powerhouse because her and her husband is, are united, and she's got these practices that you know, I'm not doing, meeting Lindsay today is forcing Polarski to raise the bar. I'm thinking, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then today, when I meet someone like Michelle, I think, Michelle, you know what? I married a convert too. And you know what you have to do when you, when, you, when you marry a convert, you have to be so careful. And I'll tell you why you have to be so careful. Because you both weren't raised with the same faith traditions. Mm-hmm. You as Dorothy Polarski, I'm not talking to you, Michelle, you can possibly backslide because... He doesn't have the 30 years or 20 years of formation that you did. And so then you go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Then, you know, my husband's family thinks that I'm crazy. You know, none of them practice anything at all. And so then when I go, you know, to Christmas over there, or if I go there, then I'm suddenly feeling weakened, right? I'm feeling weakened. But then I go to mother's group and I meet Lindsay. I meet Rama. I meet, you know, my sisters in Christ who fortify me, inspire me, and say, Polarski, you're backsliding, right? And can I say that this is, okay, the message, so Michelle and I host our podcast, the Modern Lady Podcast, and Michelle and I are both big lovers of the military. And so a lot of our episodes, we do (laughs) etiquette tips, we do fun stuff, we do homemaking, but we also want to form women into fighters because when you can change the heart of a woman, you change society. And so we want women who are washing their dishes to know, because that's what I do all day. And that's what Michelle does. And we know changing kids and wiping bottoms, all of those things. These are all efforts that contribute to our vocation, but contribute to our sanctification. And so when um, it is an incredibly liberating and powerful thing, um, not to plug the podcast again, but for those of you who think, well, I'm so blessed that my husband's on board. um, My husband and I, we were nearly divorced. The whole story is on a podcast episode. Um, I was a feminist Wiccan. He was this close to being ordained in the Anglican church. There was a whole long story there. We didn't just end up as two people who love purgatory together we had to get there and do you know how you get there by just starting and then god's grace builds upon grace builds upon grace and then he will start to reveal to your heart just like you were saying dorothy when you started thinking about deceased people god will start doing those little tugs about what things he thinks your family is ready for and so we either go okay god i'm going to trust your will for my family or not right now but we shouldn't say not right now because he will whatever little offering we can give him like this he multiplies it he blesses it and it just pays us back. I always say that our purgatorial society is selfish. I come right out and say that it is an investment, like a rental property or um, you know, a, a 401k. It is an investment in our retirement because those souls will be getting me out of purgatory and will hopefully be getting my children out of purgatory. There's one thing I want to say as well, um, and I was saying this to you earlier, Dorothy, that the truth is, guys, I called every church in Waterloo region. There was about 30, 35 churches I called three years ago. And I asked how many people attended their All Souls Day Mass. And the average number was six, six. And so if there are only those six people, they're praying for the Holy Souls. What happens when I die? What happens when you die? What happens when my children die? Who are going to pray for them? 
it starts now. And so this is the message that Michelle and I always want to say. I love that you are inspired by it, Dorothy, and we get inspired too. We always say when you hear another Catholic woman speaking, don't compare yourself to her and think, well, I just can't do that right now. Think, well, like, can I? Let me try. Like, be inspired by it and be encouraged by it. Yeah, and so it, it, our our mothers group meetups have four components, and I, I don't want any of you to think that this is actually a mothers group meetup, because this is just one component of our mothers group meetup. Um, we always have, uh, you know, I don't want to get into it now, but we always begin our, uh, our our mothers group meetings with a tremendous amount of prayer. We have a ministry. Uh, prayer, to, you know, specifically for moms to reclaim motherhood as a vocation, as a calling from God. Um, the, the fourth part of our meeting, I'll skip the second and the third, I'll go right to the fourth, is always some type of call to action. Yes. So yes. after this session, after this session, between now and next week, what do you feel the Holy Spirit calling you to do. It is my hope that after this session to get together with Lindsay and Michelle, that you are called concretely to do something. It might be to you know, subscribe to the Modern Lady podcast and start listening to Lindsay and Michelle regularly. Please do that. Someone else might be called to get Maria Sima's book and read Maria Sima's book. Another uh, person might call, be called to say, okay, every day from this day moving forward, I'm gonna pray a rosary specifically for the holy souls in purgatory. That's what I'm gonna do, okay? One thing that kind of like drives me a little bit crazy about this time of year is that people are jumping to Advent, and I say we still have a whole week to focus on the Holy Souls, right? <laughs> we still have, how many more days do we have left in, in November? Actually, this year, can I touch on the indulgence for those who don't understand from the Vatican? So we were given this amazing opportunity this year due to all the people lost through coronavirus um, who maybe didn't were denied the sacraments or and that kind of thing. So the Vatican gave us this incredible chance to earn an indulgence for the Holy Souls. It gets me so excited. If you think I'm excited about purgatory <laughs> indulgences. So for just very briefly, those of you who aren't familiar with indulgences, um, it's, it's, it's like if, if your child breaks the neighbor's window, um, you know what, they're going to say that they're sorry and they're going to be forgiven, but somebody still has to pay for the window. Okay. Right. So we have our eternal forgiveness and that was purchased by our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but we still have to pay for the sins that we did. Um, and so that's our time there. Now we can get earn either a plenary or a partial remittance of that time in purgatory for ourselves or in the month of November for the holy souls. And so you still have a little bit of time there to visit a cemetery. Uh, you need to go to confession. You need to receive the Eucharist. You need to pray for the Pope. There's a few conditions. They're on every Catholic website. You can find the conditions to earn an indulgence, but you and your family could literally free somebody from purgatory. Like tonight, <laughs> go to a cemetery. My kids love doing it. We sit in the car as the sun's setting. It's a little creepy. It just really connects them to the idea of the supernatural and to the otherworldly and to our universal family. So there's still a little bit of time left that your family can get somebody out of purgatory. Yeah. Can you tell me, because I... I've only ever heard this and maybe you can tell me whether it's true or not. Mm -hmm. Is it true that like a ridiculous amount of souls get freed from purgatory on Christmas day? I haven't heard about Christmas day, but good Friday. There's a lot of devotions throughout. I think that we need to be very careful when we hear even something like the St. Gertrude's prayer, which can release a thousand souls. Um, I mean, I love that prayer. No, I love that prayer too, but I think that we can tend to go boom, done. Say that, so that prayer and these thousand souls are out. It really has to come with um, us changing our lives, right? Prayer is meant to change our lives too, so that we really, really um, 
form our own heart to just have this devotion, not just to read off a prayer and then, and then X number of people are released. That's when people look at Catholics and go, well, you're just doing like magic spells and you can say this and then these people are, it's really about fostering that love and then having trust and hope that God is going to release the exact amount that he thinks should be released right then. Um, but yeah, there are different times in the year where those prayers are a little bit more efficacious. So there is a great thing that everybody can pray on Good Friday. Um, and Michelle, do you have any other awesome devotions that you think that people could start like today? Um, yeah. So actually going along with that, I think I did read somewhere that also Marian feast days mm. um, are big days to pray for the holy souls in purgatory too, because as our spiritual mother, she has a great love for those holy souls that are so close, right? So close to reaching heaven. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, I did want to say that um, something that I think we as moms uh, forget all the time is the merits of living our vocations well. So um, like all of these things are amazing and good, but like what you were saying, Lindsay, it has to come from good intention, deep from our, our hearts with pure intention. And I think that the intention is um, to unite our will to God's will as closely as possible and keep striving for that in our, our daily lives and in our daily tasks, right? So there is so much, I don't know if you ever have the, uh, have to say to your kid, they do something really nice, but it may not be what you asked them to do mm -hmm. right now. And so there's a little bit of <laughs> um, pleasure lost, <laughs> we'll say. Uh, and I sometimes think of that in terms of myself with God, right? Like I could be doing, I could be spending five hours of prayer and devotions in my room. But if that means that I let some other things slide that pertain to my vocation as a wife and as a mother, um, it's a little bit less efficacious, a little bit less effective possibly than, you know, having to go and serve my family. Uh, St. Francis of Rome says, you know, sometimes she must leave God at the altar and find him in her housekeeping. I have that quote right above my kitchen sink <laughs> and I love it um, because I'm very tempted towards that. I would, I would very much like to go to the church all the time and to pray. And even sometimes right now, the church may be, may not even be open for prayer um, anytime you want to, right? So I think it's really important that we develop this understanding of our vocations as this huge opportunity to um, procure merits and to offer up our work as a prayer and that our, our striving to get better and better as wives and mothers are also a prayer that we can offer to God on behalf of the holy souls. And so um, to be emboldened by that and to go after it um, wholeheartedly. Yeah, and I, I think that um, uh, I had the great, great uh, blessing of meeting um, Susan Tassoni. Um, she's written a, a number of uh, different books on the holy souls in purgatory. And she is a, a single woman who, who has devoted her life and, and single and she's in her late 60s. Okay, so we're talking single, single. And she has devoted her whole life to propagating the truths of the holy souls. And she has written dozens and dozens of books on um, the, the holy souls. And she's always saying, like, don't waste today, do something for a holy soul. And um, I, I want to share with you a, a, a little story. I think many Catholics, too, forget to offer up their suffering, right? Mm -hmm. um, we forget, and, and so I'll never forget the day that uh, my, my mom had was knocked over by a dog in a park, and she was in her uh, late 70s, and she's laying there in a park, knocked over by a dog, broken hip. The dog owner left her, and someone on a movie set found her, called the ambulance, and we get called to the hospital. And she had taught us always, you know, offer up your suffering, offer up your suffering. And so they had to straighten out my mother's, you know, uh, hips and she had osteoporosis before she went into surgery. So here I am in emergency right, with my mom, with my sister. She's got this broken hip. She's in excruciating pain. And I'm like, mom, 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 like, would you offer up some of your suffering for my past sins? And she's screaming and she goes, are you kidding? I got enough of my own. I'm offering that. <laughs> 
And so whenever we are suffering, whether it's through, you know, a fight with our husband or a sleepless night or, um, you know, a 21-year-old that is removing all religious icons from their, you know, room for whatever reason, like whenever we're experiencing suffering, to remember to say in our brains, not out loud, but to remember to say, dear Lord, I offer up this suffering I unite my suffering with your suffering on the cross for the redemption of souls and the release of souls from purgatory. Like by, by making that simple. And so then whenever you're tempted either to get angry or whenever you're tempted to um, just, you know, self-pity is so dangerous, right? And I think that COVID is such an opportunity for people to feel sorry for themselves. So I'm saying, instead of feeling sorry for yourself, take mm -hmm. that suffering and say, Jesus, I unite this suffering with your suffering on the cross and I offer it up for, and then insert your intention, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, you know what? So, and we don't even have to wait for when suffering comes to us, right? We can make little um, mortifications throughout the day. So don't put the sugar in your coffee tomorrow morning and say, I'm offering this up for the Holy soul. You think it's just sugar. Oh my goodness. God will be so pleased that you decided to do that with that heart. Okay, again, who knows who he's going to release? It's the simplest little things. My kids are so used to coming up to me and going, I've already offered it up, mom, but dot, dot, dot. Because we're all like, <laughs> up. Um, but you know, I hope all of you have a holy water font at your front door. Because whenever we bless ourselves, we always sprinkle a little for the holy souls. That yeah. is actually like many saints have talked about how that little sprinkling of holy water done with our pure heart. It's like a refreshing wave coming to them in the middle of the fire. It's a second of reproach. And so there are so many little things that we can do. And it's the more we do that, the more we really do familiarize ourselves with them. And then when we do that, we are completely, we understand our place in the universal church, right? And that again, with COVID, we feel so isolated. But when we realize that we are part of a church that is beyond time and space, that we are connected to the saints in heaven and to those souls that are suffering there and to each other, this, this network of praying moms, it's really hard to feel lonely, right? When you, when you realize that it's all of that. And so I know that it, it takes a little practice because we're so, it's so countercultural. No one talks about this. Again, you're probably not hearing about it in your local parish. Um, but when you really do start to take on this devotion, and I know Michelle will agree, your heart really opens up and you really do feel like you are part of the ancient tradition of this, of praying for the dead. And it isn't until heaven that we will see the results of that one day. Um, but you know, we are, we are not just alone in our houses, even when it feels so lonely. Yeah, and we're and, and and so we're not. And um I, I'm I'm hoping that you know y'all enjoyed this session. I, I know that I I've learned a lot. I just wanted to shout out, say hello to Lauren Hartman. This has been my first midday moms and my first foray into Catholic moms. Thank you so much for this. I'm excited to pray for the souls in purgatory and to plug the KW Catholic Moms group aside from just following it on Facebook. So um, I, I always like extending a very, very warm welcome to, um, you know, first time moms. Uh, I always say you either love us or hate us, you know, like, <laughs> but uh, thank you so, so much, um, Lindsay. Thank you, Michelle. Michelle, do you have some kind of closing thoughts for our session today? What are some closing thoughts? You know what? I think that in closing, if you take something away from this, it's that you are a part of a family and it is your earthly family. Yes. But more so than that, you are part of the church family that extends all the way from this life to beyond to eternity. And so in that case, as Lindsay said, we're never alone and the church understands all different situations and levels of faith and growing faith and deepening faith. And when you feel hopeless or helpless, especially in times like this, 
the church always has something for you to do to help someone else. <laughs> We've been given our marching orders, going back to our army references we love so much, right? We've been given marching, marching orders that we can do within our own homes. And we're very, very blessed to have those. They're a great consolation, not only for ourselves, um, to feel like we're making a difference, to feel like we're still in control of that which is most important, which is the eternal, and um, to, to not only live in that hope and that peace and that joy, but then to go out now and to share it with your children, with your family, and with your community, and by that we will change the world. And Lindsay, do you have any, any closing thoughts? No, it's just like what Michelle was saying. I think so many times, you know, I've been a stay at home mom and you know what guys, I don't drive. I'm 40 years old. I don't drive. And I live in a place where nothing's walkable. And so it can feel very isolating. I always joke that when um, I found out that <laughs> that the situation everybody's in and being isolated right now is just what my life is. I didn't realize I was living in quarantine for the last 12 years, but I have been. <laughs> so, we often think, what can I do, right? So many of us have this fire and this passion where we want to go out and we want to change the world, but we are home and we're home with these beautiful children. And so we think, well, I guess I'm just here for now. We'll have to put that off. But no, your very actions, like we've been saying throughout all of this, have universal um, ramifications, our very actions, the very actions of just praying for these people. I mean, what is bigger than that, that you can get these people out of purgatory? And then like we're saying, the world is falling into chaos and disorder and darkness. It's always been like that, but it seems like it's more so right now. And so I think that if what we're doing, if all of these souls are getting released and they're going into heaven, we are just aiding in that heavenly army being built up to help fight what is going on here right now. So that's all, that's all you're doing, right? <laughs> laundry, you're building an army in heaven. So I think it's incredibly empowering. Yeah. And it, it kind of just, you know, in closing, I have a very strong conviction that each mother, when she gives birth to a child, she is given a deposit of grace Hmm. raise that child to form that child and it seems like moms today are just too busy to access the graces they've been given right hmm. and um, some of you know that you know I used to deliver uh, corporate training programs across Canada across the United States across Australia across New Zealand across you know, I always like they got paid to deliver seminars in Hawaii do, 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 do. Uh, but the, the one thing moms used to come running up to me after always, you know, saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I missed years of my children's life. And moms would come running up to me after a training program and say, where do you get that energy? Where do you get that enthusiasm? Where do you get that strength? And the reason I stopped training at the Schulich Executive Education Center, if the truth be known, is because I couldn't say, you know where I get it all from? I get it from the Daily Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I get it from the Rosary. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do that in a corporate environment. And so what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to encourage each and every one of you listening today, that no matter what you do is to make receiving the graces of your vocation of motherhood as the number one priority. Um, you know, people will sometimes say to me, Dorothy, you are against working mothers. I'm like, no, I'm not. I've worked more than most women that I know. Um, but what I am against is a woman, a mother at her deathbed, having regrets about how she spent her time. That's what I'm against. You know, uh, you know, I always say St. John Amola, yes, she was a working mother. We, we, we've got all mothers on the entire different spectrum, but if you're too busy to access the vocation, that to, if you're too busy to access the graces that have been given to you, to your primary vocation, there is a problem. And the other thing I wanted to say is that God does have supernatural means of providing. The, the problem, quote unquote, with many moms today is that they think that God can't replace their income. And so that they themselves 
have to do it all. You know, they have to be bringing in the money. They have to be doing the cleaning. They have to be doing the cooking. They have to be, you know, God can double and triple your income if you follow his will, right? And I don't know what that will is, uh, but I think sometimes modern day moms, if I could say, have forgotten that they can fully rely on God. They don't have to rely just on themselves, right? And even as our children grow older and they leave our houses, they might not do exactly what, well, we need to entrust our children to our blessed mother. We, we can't do it all. I always say our blessed mother loves our children more than, than we do. Anyway, I'm, I always say my magnificent obsession is to revive motherhood as a vocation. I hope someone's heart has been touched today. Um, if you want, you know, you can go to the website. If you end up um, purchasing any books, I will ask you, I'm just gonna uh, show you one last thing is if you go to our website, let me just, um, if I can find it here. If you go to our website here, um, catholicmomsgroup.com, and if you want to make a donation, you can make a donation up there. You can make a donation there. Or if you want to purchase any books at all, I'm going to suggest something here. Hold on, where we are. If you want to find mother's groups, you hit find a group. All of them are listed there. Um, we have a calendar of all of our mother's group uh, things. We've got our workshop, the Catholic Mom Summit. Hold on. Oh, under who we are, under support our ministry. If you go to support our ministry, and you click on that link, it will take you to the Amazon links so that a small percentage of your purchases, so if you enter Amazon um, through support our ministry, then um, we'll get a very tiny percentage of, uh, you know, because we're trying to grow the ministry. I would love to have a full-time um, social media coordinator. I'd love to have Ah, oh, you know, the things that we could do. I've got so many emails, I can't respond to them all. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm going on too long. It's 3.13. <laughs> Forgive me <laughs> for going on too long. Um, uh, next week, we have a special guest. Father um, Gregory Merkley is joining us, and he's going to be sharing a reflection on what is consecration. Some of you have heard consecration, consecration. What does that even mean? How do you become consecrated? So anyway, we will see you next week. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, and, Dorothy. Thank uh, you. Uh, as I, we're, we're praying for you. And as I always like to say, I'm so glad we had this time together <laughs> just to have a laugh and sing a song. Seems Wonderful. we just get started. And before you know it, comes a time we have to say so long. Remember, purgatory is real. You can help the souls in purgatory by praying for them, making sacrifices, ordering masses, and remember to follow Lindsay and Michelle on the modern, what is it? Modern Lady Podcast. Modern Lady Podcast. I hope you guys come back and join us on Midday Moms, okay? Bye now. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.